What's going on, Wellness Gang? Welcome back to Embodied Wellness Radio, a podcast framed around making women healthy again. Today, we're going to be discussing five simple tips for better periods. And today's discussion is going to be more general supports for periods. I was really back and forth on whether or not I should include supplements, and they can be very, very helpful and therapeutic for many people struggling with PMS or period-related issues. However, supplements are individual, and so just keep in the back of your mind that all of these are general supports that 99% of women can implement and use to support their cycle without actually taking a look at each individual person. So as I mentioned, today we're going to be talking more about general tips and supports for healthy hormones and happy periods. And keeping in the back of your mind that all of these things that we discuss are not only going to support your period health, but overall your hormones, your energy levels, and just really bring you closer to understanding how to work with your body and your cycle. And a lot of these tips and supports are what I offer to many clients who have hormone issues in our first foundational phase when we get started together. And clients are amazed at just how impactful these habits and these shifts can really be for their hormones. I often have clients come to me and they think, oh, my hormones are so messed up. I've got all of these problems. And we implement these foundational habits and supports. And they're like, wow, I can't believe how well these seemingly simple things worked. And then we start to dial in more specifics. And so if you do have um, more specific or severe imbalances such as endometriosis, PCOS, high estrogen, or adrenal-based issues, you might need deeper and more specific support. However, we can all benefit from these five tips that I'm going to provide you today. So the first one is often overlooked when we're talking about period health or hormones. And tip number one is to learn about your cycle. How could we possibly support something if we aren't even aware of what's going on? And unfortunately, many women are not fully aware of their cycle or even what's going on in their body. I mean, before I started learning about this stuff, all I knew was that I had a monthly bleed and that there were different stages of your cycle, but I didn't necessarily understand how my hormones were fluctuating and how that really impacted the way that I feel throughout my cycle. And Alyssa Viti, she wrote the book called In the Flow, and she kind of termed this that And she coined the term cycle syncing. And when I read her book and I listened to her on a podcast, this was really when I started to understand not only the fact that we were different throughout our cycle, but how important it is to understand how to support each phase of our cycle in a new way so that we can really optimize and step into the beautiful dynamic power that is being a female, right? And you know, many females think that having a cycle is something detrimental or that it has to be, some people call it the curse. But when we actually learn to step into and tap into these changes, it's really beautiful that we have different strengths throughout our cycle that we can really start to lean into. And so learning about your cycle can be a great way to support your period health because as our hormones change, your body has different needs. And if we think about what a hormone is, right? So hormones control our metabolism. They partially control our mood, our energy levels, our digestion. And so as they are shifting throughout our cycle, we need to make these small shifts to understand how to take care of our body so that we can support our hormones as they start to fluctuate. And so if you're just starting to try to learn about your cycle, one thing that I love to introduce to clients or to have my clients do is start to track your cycle. 
And apps can be really helpful for this. So Kendara is a really great one or Natural Cycles. And essentially what you're gonna do is start to check in with yourself, notice any symptoms or shifts that specifically happen for your body and really start to learn how to understand where you are in your cycle. And something that I do wanna note about using an app to track your cycle is that apps run on algorithms. Your body does not run on algorithms. And so it's really important to listen to your body and to learn how to check in with the symptoms and the changes that occur that tell you where you are in your cycle rather than only relying on an app and its algorithm to tell you that you're ovulating or that you're in your fertile window or whatever it may be. And so now the next question is how the heck do I do that? So a great place to start is by tracking your basal body temperature. And you can do so by just ordering a regular old thermometer on Amazon. And you're going to take your temperature every morning before you get out of bed, before you've drank water, gotten up, moved, and then you can record it in the app. So as your temperature increases around ovulation, that would be one clue that your body might be ovulating. And the second clue is to start to look at cervical mucus. And we'll do a whole podcast on checking for ovulation, but really you're just starting to learn how to tune into your body to notice these shifts so that you can understand where you are in your cycle and then how you can support yourself based off of clues that you find from your body. So not only does this allow you to have better periods by understanding where you are in your cycle and how you can support yourself, but it also allows you to develop a more intricate and deeper connection with your own body and understanding, right? A lot of women, when they have PMS or period-related issues, they feel like they're a victim to the cycle and these changes. And once you start to understand and work with your body, you no longer become a victim to your cycle. You can start to become empowered by your cycle to know when you might need to rest a little bit more, right? If we don't even know when we're in the luteal phase or our period's coming up, how would we possibly know when to start to make these shifts? And so the more knowledge we have, the more understanding we have of our body, the more that we're able to work with our body and to really, really support ourselves and our hormones. So again, to recap, number one is learning about your cycle. I suggest potentially starting with either reading up, listening to podcasts like ours, and starting to track your signs and symptoms in an app so that you can understand where you are in your cycle and how you can best support your body in each phase. Okay, so to quickly recap, in the very first part, we need to learn about our bodies. And one of the best ways you can learn about your bodies is to use an app. And within that app, you can uh, check your, your daily temperature. You can better check your cycles in certain ways. Although the app is great, it's also not something you should be holding to steadfast at all times. Is that right? Mm -hmm, exactly. And I often like to use the analogy of if I wanted to know somebody's name, hey, who are you? I would probably ask, Hey, what's your name? Right. And so when we want to learn or we want to gather information, we need to ask questions. And so many women, they just go throughout their cycle or I'll have clients all the time. They come in and I ask them like, oh, do you notice X, Y and Z shift? And they're like, oh, not really. Or, oh, it's super random that I get X, Y and Z. And really, there's nothing random. They're all patterns that we just maybe haven't asked the right questions or tuned into our body to understand these shifts. And so apps are also really great to record information so that you can start to look back at patterns like, oh, I thought it was random when I was getting constipated. But I can see here that it's always the week before my cycle that I'm getting constipated. So then with this information, we know the week before our cycle, we need to be maybe supported our digestion and so apps are not only a really great way to record your data but also to be able to look back at patterns 
Cool. So it's more like a journal rather than a game plan, I would say. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So what's number two? Number two is to reduce inflammatory foods, especially in the luteal phase. And so if you're unfamiliar with what the heck the luteal phase is, it's essentially starting after ovulation. So again, if you're checking your basal body temperature, you'll know when that's ending. Otherwise, you can clock backwards and it's about seven to 10 days before your period starts. So this is a time of our cycle where our body is especially susceptible to inflammation because periods are amazing. There are monthly detox, but they also are kind of inflammatory for the body, right? There's a lot going on there. And so we really need to take these seven to 10 days before our cycle to hone in on eating nutritious foods and to reducing the inflammatory foods that we're putting in our body. So specifically, these are processed sugar is a really big one. Another one is cow's dairy, and this one is a huge game changer for many people who have period cramps and pain especially. Cow's dairy specifically, sheep and goat's dairy is okay, increases something called prostaglandin 2, which underlies inflammation and is involved in period cramps. So by simply cutting out cow's dairy the 7 to 10 days before their cycle, I have seen so many women (laughs) go from incredibly painful periods to having nothing, even within a few weeks. And so that can be a huge game changer. Another one is alcohol. So drinking before your period will likely increase PMS symptoms as well as period cramps. Gluten is one, even if you aren't necessarily sensitive to gluten from a digestive standpoint, this can also be inflammatory around your cycle. So either reducing or minimizing gluten as well as anything that's highly processed. So all the things that people typically crave, you know, Oreos, chocolate, that's not the best, ice cream, cake, um, pizza, all of those things that people usually have as their PMS cravings are not going to be very supportive for your body. And keep in mind, a lot of those foods are combinations of all those things combined as well. We look at the, uh, the Oreos, for example, you're going to have the processed sugars. You're also going to have inflammatory oils and fats in there that are not so good for you. You're going to have a little bit of gluten as well. So when you look at these things in uh, context of, yeah, it's so you look, it looks like just an Oreo, but it's actually a mixture of four or five different inflammatory things, not to mention all the chemicals and additives that is not going to be fun. Mm-hmm. And You know, we're not saying never have these things. I mean, ideally, (laughs) but you can have them more so maybe in the first half of your cycle and then just play around with what your tolerance level is, right? So some women might feel okay with having one or two glasses of wine the week leading up, but maybe not four or five. And so we really have to take ownership and try things out, maybe reduce them for one cycle if you're really struggling. Notice that if you cut out all these things, maybe your period symptoms went from an eight out of 10 to a zero out of 10. And so that's a pretty big clue for you that this is going to be a really um, big support for your body internally, right? So your period really is like your monthly report card. It's going to report back to you for the past hundred days, but especially what you've been doing since your last cycle. And so the more symptomatic our periods are, we're essentially getting like D's and F's on that report card. And if we're having periods, you know, that are A's or A pluses, we want to be able to um, be very clear on the things that we change that were supportive for that cycle. And a big one, again, is reducing inflammatory foods, especially the seven to 10 days leading up to your cycle. So to recap really quick, number two is we want to reduce inflammatory factors in our diet and I would say just in our body in general in the luteal phase of our cycle that's going to be things like gluten processed sugars inflammatory oils I would even throw in hyper exercising in that phase as well that's going to be inflammatory right what Mm -hmm. else what am I missing 
Cow's dairy. Cow's dairy is the big one. Okay. What's number three? So this kind of leads us into number three. So now you're hearing that and you're like, wow, wouldn't that be really nice, Sarah, if I never wanted to eat an Oreo or never wanted to eat chocolate when my period is coming up? So this leads us into number three, which is really going to help support you in reducing these things, which is keeping your blood sugar stable. And if you've been following along my IG, you know that I just did a little experiment with a continuous glucose monitor and all of our bodies are incredibly individual in what spikes our blood sugar. However, there are a few simple guidelines that can support us all in keeping our blood sugar stable, which reduces our cravings, boosts our energy, and overall supports our hormones and our period health. So the first tip for keeping your blood sugar stable is to make sure that you're having adequate protein with meals. So protein supports our body by giving us amino acids. If you're eating high quality protein like a grass-fed red meat, you're also getting minerals. And it is also the macronutrient of satiety. So it's going to help to keep your blood sugar more stable and it will help to keep you more full for a longer amount of time. And this is also a really big key for reducing sugar cravings. So when our body has adequate protein, we naturally crave less sugar. So you'll feel more satiated from the meals that you are having. And you'll also have less cravings for those other things like chocolate, Oreos, ice cream, all the stuff that we mentioned in tip number two. Another important key is to increase your consumption of complex carbohydrates. So these are things like whole food carbs, such as sweet potatoes, root vegetables, um, quinoa is another really great one. And so when we're getting enough carbohydrates, complex carbohydrates rather, at our meals that also have minerals and our whole food sources, our body will naturally crave less of the processed carbohydrates because we're getting that glucose, we're getting that energy for our body. And another thing that's really important to have enough of is essential fatty acids. So as you can gather, we're hitting all the macronutrients, protein, carbs, fats, and fiber with meals. Specifically with essential fatty acids, we want to make sure that we have a higher ratio ratio of omega-3s. So these are things like salmon and chia seeds, flax seeds. They can be very, very helpful for reducing inflammation. Our sex hormones like estrogen and progesterone also require enough fatty acids for their production. And so we're supporting healthy hormone levels as well as, again, increasing satiety, so our fullness cues, and supporting blood sugar stability. But don't make the mistake I did and make a shake this morning. And I had a couple tablespoons of fish oils and the whole shake just tasted like fish. It was disgusting. Yeah, fish oils. <laughs> thought it was a great idea. Arguably are better in capsule form unless you're just down in the back like a shot. Something like cod liver oil can be really helpful. But when we're looking at meals, you probably don't want to be adding liquid fish oils to your meals. We'll save that for supplements. So having balanced meals, so in increasing your protein intake, Ideally, this is somewhere around 30 plus grams of quality protein. Having complex carbs and fatty acids at meals will help to keep your blood sugar stable and keep you more full for a longer amount of time. Fiber is also really important. So including cruciferous vegetables are really great to include around your period as they can help to um, improve estrogen detoxification. Any sorts of berries, um, fruits and veggies in general can be very, very helpful for both satiety and blood sugar balance. And they also help to give your body and your hormones minerals, which are super, super important for our overall health. When we're talking about blood sugar stability, eating enough at meals is important. Eating enough throughout the day is also important. And meal timing is also really important. So intermittent fasting is 
can be really great. It's a very, very powerful tool. Fasting has been used for hundreds and thousands of years medicinally. However, for many women who are under heightened stress, which is most women nowadays, going too long without eating or fasting for too long in the morning can actually be detrimental to not only our blood sugar stability, but also our hormones. And so making sure that you eat a balanced breakfast, ideally this is 30 to 90 minutes within waking, and then eating every three to four hours after that consistently can be very helpful to keep your blood sugar stable, reduce cravings, especially if you're finding you're having um, cravings in the evening or overeating in the evening, having breakfast can be really helpful and making sure that you just have that consistent nourishment throughout the day so that your body feels safe and stable. And this is really, really helpful and supportive to keep our cortisol, which is our stress hormone balanced, which improves our period health and can be really beneficial for reducing PMS. I've always tooted the fasting uh, train horn quite a bit. And I think in the past couple of years, I've started to change my tune on that, especially as people become more and more stressed due to the fact that most people are not regulated enough on a day-to-day basis, have a proper circadian rhythm, actually have a practice of eating similar foods on a daily basis that are actually satiating and and, uh, large in in micronutrients enough. A lot of the times I'm thinking that fasting nowadays might not be a great option for most people. So I'd recommend doing a little bit more research on that before you were to jump into that or maybe ask some questions. Feel free to hit us up on Instagram or whatever. Yeah. And the other thing to know about fasting is that a lot of the research done is done in males and women, believe it or not, we are not just small men. (laughs) We are so different. You know, men run on a 24 hour clock circadian rhythm and females do as well, but we also have something called your infradian rhythm. So this is with our menstrual cycle, right? So we're not the same and our bodies don't work in the same way. And so when all the studies are done on men and we try to apply it to ourselves in the same way, This is a big reason why we fall out of balance or how women have become so unwell over the years. And I want to touch back briefly on what I mentioned about having 30 plus grams of protein at a meal. I just want to highlight this because I know that especially a lot of females that we start to work with, they're like, yeah, I'm getting protein. And it's like this tiny little sliver of luncheon meat on their sandwich, or it's like one piece of shrimp in their salad and my loves. Or broccoli. Don't sit here and tell us that broccoli has enough protein. Yeah, or I'm peanut reach butter. through the camera and slap you. Peanut butter. That's a good one. Oh, I, yeah, it had peanut butter. My loves, 10, 15, 20 grams of protein. This is not enough. This is not a proteinaceous meal. Ideally, most women are getting an absolute minimum of 100 grams in a day and ideally 30 plus grams at meals. I know. And for some of you like, holy smokes, that's a lot. So you might need to work your way up to that, right? Um, If you're over the age of about 35, 40, you might need some additional support for protein digestion, such as HCL, a little bit of apple cider vinegar, um, digestive enzymes. But really, this is so important for our hormone health. A lot of people overlook just how impactful adipose adequate protein intake is because our body and our hormones require these amino acids in order to function optimally. I think just one more point, stepping back to the talk about fasting, I think we should actually do an entire podcast on fasting, but um, 
one thing that Sarah mentioned right off the beginning is that fasting has been used for hundreds and thousands of years for medicinal purposes, for therapeutic purposes. And I think nowadays people are very, very focused on fasting as a fat loss benefit when that is not the main thing with fasting. That is a, um, a sub factor that happens as you go into the fasting process for a lot of the times in the recent times, it was actually uh, brought back up for helping people with diabetes was, was really how it came back into, um, fruition nowadays. However, fat loss is not the number one reason you should be going into any sort of fasting protocol. It's a very extreme version to jump to if you're just trying to lose weight. So I, I just wanted to finish up that last little point about that. But to cover point three, so blood sugar balance, we want to focus on making sure we're getting enough protein in our diet, ideally 30 grams per meal, uh, multiple times a day, we want to get uh, complex carbohydrates in with our our meals, we're looking for a bunch of fiber in our diet that can come from some good low glycemic to mid glycemic fruits, for example, what else? Yeah. And then the other one would just be making sure that you're eating consistently. So having breakfast within about an hour of waking and then eating every three to four hours after that to make sure that your blood sugar isn't dropping too low either. Because we don't want our blood sugar to be too high or to be having big spikes, but we also don't want it dipping. We want this nice neutral balance word that everybody loves to use. Whatever that means. Point four, what's next? Yeah, so to recap, number one is learning about your cycle. The second support for better periods is reducing inflammatory foods, especially in the luteal phase. Number three is keeping your blood sugar stable. And number four, we touched on a little bit, but we're going to highlight it in a bit more depth. And that is specific foods and nutrients to support healthy periods. So we've talked about what not to eat. Now let's talk about what we can include more of. So the OG period support food is beef liver. And stay tuned for a podcast we have coming up, but beef liver is so nutrient dense. And when we're having our monthly bleed, we're losing blood, right? And our blood is also full of minerals. So many women, especially those who maybe have more heavy periods, they experience um, blood loss symptoms. So fatigue, dizziness, or just mineral deficiencies from losing a lot of blood. And so when we eat foods that are going to be able to replenish these nutrients and minerals and also give our hormones the nutrients and minerals that they need to function optimally, and for their production, we're going to feel a lot better. Our hormones will be more balanced. We'll have better periods, less symptoms. And so I know when I said beef liver, many of you were like that. Nope. Choose somebody else. Pick somebody else. I am not the one. (laughs) And so you don't have to necessarily just cook a fatty beef liver steak and eat it with a fork and a knife. Although Denon did try that. Didn't go super well. No. So there are different ways that you can get beef liver in your diet. So one of them is um, desiccated liver capsules. So Ancestral Supplements makes a really good one. You can buy beef liver, chop it up into tiny little cubes, pop it in the freezer and just throw them back like pills. Or you could... Just don't choke and die. (laughs) I don't like that recommendation. (laughs) I'd choke and die. (laughs) It's just like taking a pill. It's going to be small chunks, that's for sure. (laughs) Well, some of us can take entire handfuls of pills at once. It's true. It's disgusting. Yeah. I'm like, get it all done in one shot. Anywho, um, the other way you can do it is by grinding up beef liver and then you can add some to your ground beef or whatever meat you're cooking. And so it disguises the taste. And if beef liver is an absolute no-go for you, red meat is also really great. So high quality grass-fed beef can be really supportive. It's also full of nutrients and minerals. Bison is another great one. 
Um, if you are vegan or vegetarian, you can also get minerals from sources like liquid chlorophyll is a really great one. You can often buy it in liquid form from stores. Just add some to your water. Um, seaweed or any sort of sea vegetables are also really mineral rich. So those little seaweed snacks can be very helpful. And those would be kind of the main ones to include if you are vegan or vegetarian, or even if you just wanted to add in some more minerals, those are really great supports. Another nutrient that we touched on briefly that you want to make sure you're including a lot of, especially in the luteal phase, is omega-3s. And so omega-3s are a type of fatty acid that are anti-inflammatory. So this can reduce overall inflammation, which supports your hormones, your energy levels. It can reduce period cramps. And taking a supplement can be great. So something like cod liver oil or a high-quality omega-3 blend um, if you're not eating a lot of fatty fish throughout the week. Or salmon is honestly one of the best sources of omega-3 in awesome. the diet. You have to eat a lot of it, though. I honestly, I do recommend that almost everybody does supplement with it because you have to eat a ton of salmon and you'd have to eat a lot of foods that are very high in omega-3 in order to actually get enough that you would need to for proper uh, optimization of the brain and to get enough in the diet. So I, I honestly do recommend that most all people supplement with it. And the last one under nutrients to include, I'm sure we, we should do a whole podcast on nutrients for hormone support and how important minerals are. But the last one we'll briefly talk about today is fiber. And I first want to preface this by saying if you have serious digestive issues, sometimes fiber can actually make you feel worse. So if you do notice as you increase your fiber, you are not feeling that great, then always take everything that we say with a grain of salt or everything you hear with a grain of salt and trust your body and how you feel when you include something. This being said, for most people listening to this, increasing your fiber intake can be a huge support for your hormones, for keeping your blood sugar stable, and also supporting estrogen detoxification, which is a huge underlying root cause of PMS or period-related issues. So some great foods to include are berries as they're high in antioxidants, cruciferous vegetables, so that's things like broccoli, kale, cauliflower i'm gonna cancel out kale because if you know you know good, yeah good call food if you babies. know you know yeah that's gonna give you a food baby baby so let's say brussels sprouts broccoli and cauliflower are all really really great for supporting estrogen detoxification which can overall help your hormone symptoms as well as just your hormone symphony in general some other great foods to include are avocados so you're getting in healthy fats alongside fiber and any sort of chia seeds, flax seeds are really great supports as well. So to recap point four here, basically what I'm getting from this is that although macronutrients and macronutrition is important, micronutrition is extremely important. And honestly, my advice to everybody is I know we all love following people on social media that are super fit and, you know, kind of our gym bro or gym girl, but a lot of the time they're going to be promoting diets that are very, very macronutrient focused all the time because they're just kind of focused on, on the way they look. But long-term longevity and proper healthy periods and to get that grade A plus report card for your monthly period report, micronutrition is critically important. So when we're looking at the foods that we're eating, we need to also look at the nutritional depth of it. So we could look at, you know, our chicken and our rice quote unquote, fitness bodybuilding meals that you see pretty much everybody posting about all the time. But how much micronutrition is actually in that chicken and rice meal, right? We need to 
take out those foods that are low in micronutrition and replace them with foods. Or for example, with that chicken and rice meal, we can maybe cut back some of the chicken and add a little bit of like ground beef liver into that with a little bit of ground beef. Both both those two things are very high in micronutrients. Beef is especially very high in micronutrients. Mix it in with a little bit of the beef liver. Now you've got an incredible protein source in that. And instead of maybe uh, the rice, we could switch it out for something like broccoli and maybe sweet potatoes. Both those are going to be colorful and full of more nutrients. And after that, we can add in more things that are just going to be better all around for our health and longevity in a daily, from a day-to-day basis. But they're also going to be helping support things like your, your monthly cycles so much better than those very simple meals. So although, yes, we look at a meal and there's those three things that we're looking for, you know, your proteins, your fats, and your carbs. But what's actually within those? Those are subsections of their own that also need focus of how much depth are there in micronutrients in each one of those categories. That's quite critical as well. Couldn't have said it better myself. And the other thing I want to briefly touch on, we will not go on a tangent or rant on this, is start to take a close look at all of these fitness influencers that you see online and notice that they're also or just, or just them. They're also typically the ones who are promoting um, misinformation, like, you know, PMS. They're like, oh, my period's coming, so bloated. They're the ones who are saying normalized bloating and really taking all of these imbalances that are just that, imbalances and symptoms, and saying normalize them. Shark <laughs> and, week. Yeah. It's so crazy to me. It's like, you know, all there's such obvious displays of these imbalances going on in their body, and everyone just looks at their six-pack or the fact they have a Kim Kardashian booty, and they're like, yep, that's it. That's the one. Just remember, you can only look sexy and hot for so long. Eventually, we're all going to age to a certain point. If I'm going to bet money on it, I'm going to bet like the people who are focused on long-term health are going to look better at 60 than the people who are doing bikini shows every second week and only eating 50 grams of carbs because that's what their coach told them to. At the end of the day, we want to be able to be functional long-term. And if our fifth vital sign women, I mean, the fifth vital sign of, of your periods is not functioning for 20 plus years. By the time it gets to the point where it's naturally supposed to start to go away, you're going to run into problems. We need to look at longevity a little bit differently. And I know it's difficult for men and women to have the context of time. Humans are not very good at looking ahead in our life at our time, because quite frankly, we don't do that. We look forward for the next 10, 20, 30 days, maybe even a year at max. But most people, if you ask them, they don't even have a five-year plan for their life. So one of the things that we need to do is take a step back and actually um, look at our life and be able to look at our future self as a separate person, right? I'm going to be different. Me, Denon, is going to be different 30 years from uh, from now than I am right now. So I need to almost look in the mirror at, at that person like they're completely different. Now, if I'm going to end up being that person, I'm going to want to treat that person with empathy and respect much like I'm talking face-to-face with them. So I know it's tough to figure this out as a human because we're not very good at looking ahead, but you do need to understand that you're going to be in that place one day. And if you're not looking at these things now and starting to set some of these habits in place, you're going to have to look at that person in the face in 30 years and be like, I'm sorry, I didn't set you up for success. I could have been better at that. So have more empathy for your future self and start to look into these things a little deeper or hire somebody too. (laughs) (laughs) And this kind of leads us into our fifth and final tip, which is stress management and rest. So I've said this so many times. We have a whole podcast on stress support with nutrition. If you follow me on social media, I am always talking about stress because no pun intended, but I can't stress it enough. <laughs> uh, ha, ha, shit, that's an e-slapper. Right? 
It's a laugh, ain't it? All right. So <laughs> stress management is so, so important. And stress is not just psychological stress. I've said this before. Stress is over-exercising, under-sleeping, eating foods that aren't sitting well with you, um, fighting with your partner. And so stress is really this big encompassing term. However, there are things that we can do to support both our stress management as well as our stress resilience. So that's our body's ability to deal with stressors. And so number one, get enough sleep. Do it. Make it a priority. Try it out. And enough sleep. What does that mean? You're like, oh, but I function fine on five hours of sleep, my love. No, you do not. That's what you've told yourself. Until you get consistently eight, you won't know how much better you feel getting enough sleep. So ideally, this is eight to nine hours around your cycle. Seven to nine is okay. Eight to nine is great. Personally, I always try to give myself an extra hour of sleep leading up to my cycle so that I'm not fatigued throughout the day. And I notice that I feel way better when I get that extra hour in, especially around my cycle. So making sleep a priority. And what does that mean? That means that something else might have to give, right? You might need to cut your workout 30 minutes short so you get 30 minutes of extra sleep. You might need to stop scrolling on Instagram before bed. You might need to watch one Netflix show instead of two. You might need to not watch Netflix. And so making sleep a priority isn't just, it would be nice if I had more time to sleep. It's how am I going to make myself have time so that I can prioritize getting enough rest? And I say this with love and respect because I know how many people glaze that over and think they're fine getting less than seven hours a night. But truly, it can be such a game changer for your hormones, your overall health and the way that you feel. Just a few things on, on sleep. I know we live in hustle culture, people. And I know that we're told that those who grind all night, they're going to be the successful ones at the end of the day. And I can tell you from firsthand that's not going to work. You are going to get sick. You are going to run yourself down. Sleep is essentially the reset button for our body. We require it. Do not take sleep for granted. And I say this too because I was the person a few years ago who was waking up at 4.45 in the morning so I could go work out before school. I would go to school all day. I would go teach hot yoga and fitness classes. I would come home, go to bed at like 11 and wake up and do it again. And I was like, I function so well on six and a half hours of sleep. I'm a robot, I'm such a boss. And then once I stopped doing that, first of all, I slept for almost a month straight. My body was so burnt out. I was just running on stress hormones all the time. And now I consistently get as close to eight hours as I can. Some nights it's seven and a half, some nights again around my period, it's eight and a half. And my focus, my attention, my energy levels, my ability to be creative, to think, to actually like do a task for longer than 10 minutes without getting distracted or 10 seconds. is through the roof. <laughs> so <laughs> don't underestimate the power of good sleep until you've tried it out. And if you're out there listening, saying I do fine on, on whatever amount of sleep that you're getting, that's under seven or eight hours, try it out. Not only that, like when I first met Sarah years ago, she had food allergies out the wazoo. I remember she would come over and I'd, I'd try to cook her foods and, and certain we just couldn't eat certain foods because she was so inflamed that certain things, she just couldn't do that. And when she got, began to reset her body and take the health and the sleep and everything very, very seriously and reducing the inflammation, she changed inside and out. And stemming back to this, uh, this fitness idea is that at the time that Denon's talking about. I was always getting compliments like body goals, looking way more fit. I was probably like 10 pounds less than I am now. My periods were out of whack. All of the symptoms that I talk about now on my Instagram and on our podcast 
were everything that I was experiencing. But on the outside, I looked like, oh, she's pretty fit. And on the inside, my body was a mess. So it's also important to distinguish that what makes you your most quote unquote fit and what makes you in your best health are not necessarily the same things. Plus that ass is looking fine now. Let's just put it that. <laughs> this is, uh, my mom listens to this podcast. Oh, sorry, Nev. <laughs> my dad's going to listen to this. You don't want him coming after you. No, no goodness, no. No. If you're listening, if you know, you know. All right, so stress management. This includes getting enough rest. This also includes sometimes shifting your workouts. Now, don't read into what I'm not saying, which is that you can't strength train or you can't um, work out with an elevated heart rate. But what I am saying is that, you know, many women are going to these high intensity workout classes. I was one of them. I used to teach them. Going to these high intensity workouts or thinking they always need to go, quote unquote, balls to the walls um, with all of their workouts. And this really isn't true. And this can actually be more harmful. It can ramp up our cortisol, which is our stress hormone, which will signal to your body to store fat. And so this is actually having an opposite effect that you want it to, especially around our cycle when our body is already under more stress and is more sensitive to cortisol cortisol fluctuations. And so doing things like strength training, walking, you know, lower lower intensity exercise, that doesn't mean that you have to completely take a rest week or to not do anything or that you have to just do walking and stretching and yoga. You can still it give, might. Yeah, give this exertion, but it might mean that you need to scale back, right? If you're really struggling with painful periods and PMS symptoms, Try doing everything that you can and then see what your limit is, right? So a lot of women, they're like, oh, well, I'm doing every, all of the things except for the one thing that they really cling on to. And I've seen this a lot with clients. Typically, those two things that they're not willing to let go of are under eating and over-exercising. They're like, oh, but I'm doing all the things. I'm taking all the supplements, but they're still thinking that going on a 10K run is considered an active rest day. <laughs> and so we really need to be honest with ourselves. Am I overworking myself? Am I still struggling with hormone-related issues? Can I just give myself a chance to scale back and see how I feel? If I try it out for a month or a couple months and you know it's really not working, I can maybe look at switching or including a little bit of what I was doing. But until we give ourselves a chance to really um, listen to our body and to scale back on doing these high-intensity exercises, we won't truly know how much better we can feel. I would also argue uh, overconsumption of caffeine as well. Um, that's another thing I don't think a lot of people are willing to give up or at least start to wean down on, as that can have a large effect on our circadian rhythm as well. Mm -hmm. So to recap, number point number five is stress reduction. Stress reduction is a very general term. That means a lot of things, but it means a lot of different things for different people. For me, stress reduction uh, might mean prioritizing sleep better, creating more stress reduce, reduction protocols uh, throughout a day, um, maybe adjusting my diet to better support me. For another person that might be reducing caffeine, reducing exercise, maybe getting enough sleep. It can be different for everybody. It's many different things. And when we look at stress, there's really two forms of stress. There's visible stress and there's invisible stress. Visible stress might be just very, hey, look, I look stressed. I look like I haven't got enough sleep. I look like I'm losing body mass or maybe gaining body mass. Adipose tissue on our body, fat tissue, is also a form of stress. If you are overweight, and that 
is a form of stress. You might need to reduce your weight, right? These are visible signs of stress, bags under the eyes, but the invisible things that are happening internally within the body, they also need to be looked at too. So that's kind of where you do need to take a much deeper look. That might mean blood tests. That might mean any, many range of things, but identifying the stress factors in your life that could um, be something that is affecting your monthly cycle, those things do need to be looked at. Mm -hmm. And another part of stress is building up your stress resilience or having some practices to reduce stress. So those are things like meditation is a pretty classic one, getting outside in nature, you know, dancing, inviting more joy into your life, journaling, all of those things that you hear about for stress management are also really important to include, not only just when you feel like you need it, but as a proactive support for stress management and keeping your stress bucket low. Personality types as well, right? I'm more of an introvert. For me, I'm dumping out energy the more that I'm out in public and I'm around people. For me, that's adding stress to my life, not taking it away. So I need more time in isolation to feel like I'm recharging my batteries a little bit more. Sarah's more extroverted. She gains energy from being out in public more and being exuberant and, and, and being with people and having fun. Um, she actually needs more time out in public to recharge her batteries. And that that's not stress increase, that's stress reduction. So we also need to look at our personality types a little bit as well to identify like where stressors in our life could be coming into play. Yeah. And bringing this back to our, our cycles is that there also might be different points of your cycle where you have different needs or mm. desires for socializing. So typically in the ovulation phase, many people feel like they can talk more, they want more social activity, but a lot of us feel this draw to, to turn inwards right around our cycle. And so if we think of our cycle like seasons, so if the two weeks after your period, so follicular and ovulatory phase are like spring and summer. So maybe we want to get outside more, do more high intensity activities. And then the week before and the week of our period are more like fall and winter, right? Turning inwards, doing slower activities, um, spending more time with ourselves and reflecting. And so you also may notice that even though you as a person might be an extrovert during your cycle or the days leading up to your cycle, you might need a little bit more alone time, which is totally okay. And so again, it's important to start to notice these shifts and understand how our body can be different so that we learn how to support ourselves in a much deeper way. So even in that point five here, we've talked about a lot of different things. I mean, the reason that we're talking about many, many different things and kind of putting general concepts out there is because we can't create a game plan for you just throughout this podcast, just to tell you, here's your set strategy. You now go and do exactly what we say, because it is different for everybody. But for a lot of people, I think they have a hard time even identifying what creates stress in your life. They just think stress as uh, mental stress pretty much at all the times, but there's many, many things that play into our stressors in our life. So if any of these ideas have clicked with you, I do recommend you either write it down or even download and save this podcast for later. So you can come back and take notes on this because there's so many different things that will help to affect you. But if we're going to do a recap of this whole podcast real quick before we round it up, number one. Number one is to learn about your cycle, get used to tracking your cycle, learn how to test for ovulation, um, write down every symptom that pops up, even if you think it's irrelevant, so that you can start to understand where and when your body needs support. Number two. Reducing inflammatory foods, especially in the luteal phase, cows, dairy, sugar, processed foods, alcohol, gluten, all of the above. Number three. Number three is keeping your blood sugar stable. So making sure you're eating breakfast within about an hour of waking and every three to four hours after. 
making sure that you're getting enough protein in. So 30 grams with meals, about 100 plus grams throughout the day and making sure that you're having well-balanced meals with protein, carbs, and fats. Numero four. Number four is to include certain nutrients and types of nutrients that are going to be supportive for your cycle. So those are things like red meat and beef liver to replenish your minerals, getting enough fiber, and making sure that you're eating high omega-3s or supplementing with omega-3s. And let's bring it in number five. Number five is stress management and making sure that you're getting enough rest. And to kind of recap, these are very general things that can support your hormones and your cycle, no matter who you are listening to this. However, some people do need that deeper support, right? And as Denon mentioned, what we do with clients is we have a very, very lengthy intake form where we get all, all the information about them. I also have clients send us over four days of what they are eating. So as a practitioner, I'm looking at the whole picture. What are all of the puzzle pieces that are contributing to um, our client's symptom? What are the symptoms they're experiencing? And, and then we interpret the symptoms, right? So are these symptoms of high estrogen? Are these symptoms of progesterone deficiency? And so we're really looking at the whole picture and offering them specific specific supports for their body. And so, as I mentioned, you know, many people feel really good or like their symptoms go away 80% by doing these general supports, but some people do need those more specific supports with a personalized supplement protocol, you know, very specific suggestions for their nutrition, um, looking at certain nutrients at different types of the cycle. And so if you are wanting to take a deeper dive into supporting your cycle or, you know, you've really, really been struggling with PMS and hormone related issues for your whole life, it is a really good investment to work with someone who can teach you about your unique body as an individual to, to teach you to have this information of how to support yourself for the rest of your life. And the thing about PMS or hormone or cycle related issues is that they don't stop when you stop having your period. A lot of times around perimenopause and menopause, these symptoms are exacerbated. And so women who have been dealing with maybe PMS symptoms related to low progesterone, all of a sudden they go through perimenopause and they're like, why do I feel like a different person, right? They're, they have mood string, swings out the wazoo, <laughs> vaginal dryness. And so it's really, really important to, to take care of our cycle. It's considered, as Denon mentioned, our fifth vital sign. It's not something to be ignored. And so the issues that we see around our period or the issues we have with our cycle, they're clues about what's going on in their body. There's messages and signs from your body asking for help. And when we ignore the whispers, they eventually turn into screams, whether it's a few cycles from now, whether those high estrogen symptoms end up turning into, you know, cysts or endometriosis, whether that's when you go through menopause and perimenopause, you're experiencing all of these different symptoms. And so it is worth worth learning about and taking yourself seriously, taking your cycle um, symptoms seriously, understanding what your PMS is telling you and learning how to support your body so that you can have this information for the rest of your life and that you no longer feel like you're a victim to your cycle, but empowered by the connection you have to your body and by the dynamic change that happens. So look, if you found that we brought you value and information that you can share in this podcast, we would have highly recommend that you do share this with uh, maybe your followers, people that you know that could find value in this because we're at the end of the day, our goal is to help as many women as possible become healthy again. That's really our end goal of what we do and why we put out this podcast. So if you did love it, the information that we provided today, we would love it if you share the podcast, subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes or Spotify. That's really one of the best ways that you can support us as we bring you this weekly 
awesome free information. So thank you so much for listening. If you're new to the podcast and you made it all the way to the end, welcome to the wellness gang. I think you're going to be here for quite a while. Sarah, any last words? Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. Catch you on the next one. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. This podcast provides general information and discussions about health and related subjects. The information and other content provided in this podcast or any linked materials are not intended and should not be construed as medical advice, nor is the information a substitute for professional medical expertise or treatment. If you or any other person has medical concern, you should consult with your healthcare provider and seek other professional medical treatment. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you may have heard on this podcast or any linked materials. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or emergency services immediately. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast are of no relation to those of any academic, hospital, health practice, or other institution.